listener production. Australia Today's Morning Agenda with Natasha Belling. Welcome to another edition of the summer series of Morning Agenda, where we take a look back at the major issues that have set the agenda in 2022. Today, we're looking at the crisis everyone, including our leaders, want to forget, and that's COVID. Despite widespread vaccination, numerous lockdowns and restrictions, COVID is still very much with us. And by the end of this year, it's estimated more than 25,000 Australians will have died from this highly contagious virus. And despite our best efforts, COVID is continuing to win the war with the modern world. Experts say the actual death toll from COVID is much higher and doesn't account for the concerning number of Australians and people right around the world that are still experiencing ongoing health issues after contracting COVID and also the many people that are suffering debilitating long COVID. In this special episode, we'll chat with one of our nation's leading infectious diseases experts, Professor Brendan Crabb from the Burnett Institute. He says COVID is the greatest public health disaster in living memory, and that our leaders have given up on COVID, resigning to the concerning fact we're all going to get infected, no matter the serious and deadly consequences. Professor Crabb says there is hope, though, and we can tackle COVID. The governments must urgently change their current COVID strategies. Professor, thanks so much for joining us. I think I'm like many Australians thinking, no, not again, another Christmas New Year period that we're seeing a dramatic increase in COVID cases, but more concerningly, a jump in COVID-related deaths and hospitalisations and this extraordinary pressure on our health system. We certainly are. I mean, I know that it's a surprise to many, but it's certainly not a surprise to me and it shouldn't be a surprise to our authorities. You know, the, the wave we had in July and August, September was our worst wave. It was by far our most lethal wave from deaths and it was by far our most number of hospitalisations. And that's a big statement when you consider what happened in in January, you know, sort of December last year and January this year. Um, but that was a fact and, and there's reasons for that. Those reasons are exacerbated now, are exacerbated now. And um, sure enough, it's coming into play, you know, that uh, that we are having a wave that is is so troubling, whether it's going to be worse in inverted commas than the last one, but it's certainly going to be comparable, completely predicted, absolutely um, certain that it was going to happen. So I don't know why it's a surprise. I don't know why it wasn't planned for. Um, we have our head in the sand in a way that, um, that uh, is hard to explain, but is quite literally uh, calamitous for the function, proper functioning of our society, and it's quite literally killing us. Professor, we'll get into the politics in just a moment because the AMA has even released a statement saying that they believe it's actually weak political leadership putting Australians at risk, especially of long COVID. We'll get to that in just a moment. But we're always told by our leaders, don't look at the cases, look at hospitalisation and death rates. Right now, the stats are, correct me if I'm wrong, around 16,000 Australians have died from COVID. We don't know how many people have long COVID or who have now lifelong complications from their original infections. No, we certainly don't. There is a long COVID inquiry going on at the moment, which is a very welcome thing that the government is doing. And those submissions are in. And in fact, the 
the government has released a, a sort of discussion, interim discussion paper, not the final result, to say that, uh, you know, really there's something like 500,000 of us or so that, uh, that have long COVID, um, you know, around four or five percent of those who have had COVID in Australia. It's a, it's a, it's a very worrying stat, but it's a welcome, um, report that hopefully we'll come up with some solutions. But you're quite right, 16,000 deaths. Actually, we, by year's end, we'll have in the order of 25,000 what we call excess deaths, people who otherwise would not have died. In fact, excess deaths in Australia is normally negative, less than zero. That's why life expectancy has increased every year for the last 70 years in Australia. This year it will not because 25,000 of us will have died. Um, 60% or so because of COVID, and you said that that figure of 16,000 or so. The rest also because of COVID, but but not within the last 28 days of their infection, which is a sort of definition. Um, they died of other causes on their death certificate, um, but analysis from Singapore says that um, all of the excess deaths happen in people who have had COVID in the last three months or so, and I expect that's very likely to be the case here. So the impact's even bigger than the raw um, death numbers that are there. Extraordinary. I mean, can you imagine us sitting here a year ago saying, oh, we're going to open up and we'll cope with uh, 25,000 deaths? No one would have accepted that, right? That would have been outrageous. Um, but here we are. That's, that's where we're going to be with half a million people disabled in some way, shape or form, not all of them seriously. Treasury analysis says 30,000 or so people are out of work um, in a serious way because of long COVID at the moment in Australia. And obviously that's a number that is growing. So we've we've got ourselves into a real pickle, to say the least. Our strategy, um, which we might talk about, is not working. Mm. We have to find another way. We'll talk about that strategy in just a moment, Professor. I want to talk about the stats with knowing the real figures. We saw this week, which was unprecedented, one of the major Melbourne hospitals, the Children's Hospital in Melbourne, basically saying to parents, don't bring your sick children to hospital because we can't cope with unprecedented demand. Now, they were saying some were respiratory problems, RSV, some had have, had uh, suffering some type of gastro issue. What I would like to see is how many of those children had previously had COVID. And that number is going to be really hard to determine, except to say that, of course, all the kids have had COVID um, virtually. Right. In the in the last year, every person in Australia, almost every person in Australia has had COVID. Many have had COVID twice and some three times. And so it's it's we talk a lot about influenza and COVID, you know, uh, influenza is quite a serious infection. Most of us will get influenza a few times in our life, two or three times in our entire life. Um, we've all had COVID this year. The year's not even over. So the, the answer to your question is, of course, they've all had COVID. Uh, the, and, and, and COVID is driving this crisis. It's not easy to say for each health worker who's out of work, not because of COVID. You know, most health workers mm -hmm. are out of work at the moment because of COVID, but some are out because for other reasons. Kids are coming to hospital, some with COVID and adults, obviously, with COVID and others, as reasons you said, RSV and other reasons. But my view is that COVID is likely driving all of it, all of it. Um, uh, what happens with, with COVID infection is it's a serious 
infection that leaves you susceptible to other infections. Right? Not every single person, but at a population level, just like having flu leaves you susceptible to secondary infections, having COVID leaves you susceptible to having other infections. And even more worryingly, a signature of long COVID is what we call immune dysfunction. So in people with long COVID, in a large proportion of them, they have other viruses in them. You know, Epstein-Barr virus, for example, the Galangela fever virus, or varicella zoster, the chickenpox virus. These viruses are reactivated in those people because their immune systems aren't working as they should. That means we've got um, the, the likelihood of quite a lot of people in the community far more susceptible to infection than they otherwise would have. It's, it's all COVID. The excess deaths is all COVID. What's driving this um, uh, you know, disruption one year into Omicron um, uh, you know, that's been here four times now through the year that is upsetting our, our health services and, in fact, our whole society is all COVID. And we have, got to, have to get our head around that. Professor, you mentioned earlier about the failure in policies and I saw an article with you recently that you'd said what we're in right now in December, just as we head into yet again the Christmas holiday period, is you're angry about why we're here. I feel exactly the same way because the bottom line is we didn't have to be here and it's not about lockdowns or going into tougher restrictions. There's a couple of few simple measures that could have ensured we weren't here again. Yeah, well, that, you, you've absolutely answered the question yourself in that. The, I'm angry for a few reasons. We, the big one is that we've, we took a strategic decision when Omicron came along. It's like, we, um, it's, it's like our, our COVID strategy was a, an old car that we didn't like very much. Um, and, you know, you, you'll remember we had the four-phase plan to mm-hmm. exit the Delta wave and get vaccinated and and then, you know, we'll keep numbers low and then release restrictions and so on. Then Omicron came along like a, a shiny new car and we bought it. Um, we bought this strategy that came with Omicron that said, and our chief medical officer literally said this, it's our Christmas present, right? And what that <laughs> was behind, what was behind that was saying, we want you to get infected with COVID. We don't want vulnerable people to get infected, but we want people to get infected with COVID, this, this mild Omicron strain of COVID. Because, and if we push through that on top of our vaccination, that will build hybrid immunity and we're over this pandemic, right? Now, I said at the time, that's a completely flawed approach. Mm-hmm. You should never have getting infected with an infection, a pathogen, as a part of not getting infected with that pathogen. Indeed. I mean, that's completely illogical, but that has been our strategy, right? Protect the vulnerable, let it run through, let the wildfire run through the rest of the community. We'll push through a wave in January, February, and we're over it. Well, how well has that worked? We had another wave shortly after the BA2 wave, after BA1. Then we had the BA4, 5 wave, the one I've already referred to that was worse than the first wave. And now we're in this one. Um, The virus is winning. So this strategy of hybrid immunity, this new car that we bought when Omicron came along turned out to be a lemon, right? And, and no one wants to admit that. That's the first reason I'm angry. No one wants to admit that, you know, we were sold a pup and we, we have to acknowledge that, tell the Australian people that that 
They got it wrong. Turns out getting getting infected is not right. Mm. We we got it wrong, and we want to turn this around. Not using lockdowns unacceptable. Not using anything that we could regard as a significant restriction, but. We're really lucky to get vaccinated. You know, vaccines have stalled over six months ago. Hardly anyone in Australia has been vaccinated. We're really lucky to do that. We want you to understand you need to breathe clean air. Unfortunately, it's not a droplet disease as we originally thought. It's it's in the air. So if you can't breathe clean air, you need to wear a mask if you're with other people because otherwise, you you know, you run a high risk of getting infected. And thirdly, we want you to get tested because getting tested means you can isolate away from other people if you're sick. And you can get treated if you're, you know, um, eligible for those drugs. That's that's all we've got: vaccines, clean air, getting tested. And here's what we're going to do as a government: we're going to make those things available to you, so business can keep going, our health services can keep going, schools can stay open, we can enjoy our holidays, planes aren't disrupted, right? But they don't want to say that they bought a lemon, and the strategy needs to to change. There's too much pride and ego. At probably ignorance still involved there. Um, it's very, very difficult. They've dug a big strategic hole. All of the uh, all the governments have bought into this. And if we don't change, we will keep going through these sorts of ways. There's no reason why all of a sudden the virus is going to run out of path. Its evolution is outpacing um, the immunity that's building up in people each time you get infected. Uh, So it's winning. The virus is winning. Professor, in regards to the isolation rules being relaxed, I was actually dumbfounded. I couldn't believe that any leader would ever think that it was okay to say you can go back into the workplace or into the community when you're COVID positive for so many different reasons. And you talk about the financial impact of letting COVID rip. Look at what cost it's doing to the workforce with people with long COVID the pressure and the multi-billion dollar impact on the health industry right now and also long term. So why wouldn't the government keep the COVID isolation policies and the payments to ensure when people had COVID, they stayed at home? For the reason I just said, the strategy is to get COVID. The strategy is to get COVID. That's the way out. That's the planned way out, that we will build up immunity. It's It's not for elderly or immunocompromised to get COVID. No one wants that. Uh, all governments have been very clear that they want to protect those groups. They haven't protected those groups. 25,000 of them are going to die this year um, and many live closed up and in in fear. But the intention was to try and protect those groups. Um, But the strategy is to, uh, you know, no one will articulate it quite like I have, but how else can you uh, interpret sending infectious people back out to the community? in the way you've just described. How else can you interpret uh, making testing harder? You know, how else can you interpret uh, vaccine policies that are not as liberal as most of our OECD counterparts, to get kids vaccinated, to get boosted, um, and so on? So I'm afraid that's the plan. And, and I'll cop a lot of criticism for saying this, but I'd love policymakers to say, how it's not the plan. No one has an anti-transmission plan. No one has a let's keep the numbers down because that's the best way of protecting everyone in the community. They have a hybrid immunity plan. Get infected. That's where that uh, that's where that comes from. It's it's completely flawed. Uh, even at the time of its introduction, it was flawed. But now we know it is because these waves keep happening. 
which is the reason why we're talking today. So we need that strategic 180. And you know the beauty of that, if we did do that strategic 180 and say, look, infection, we thought we might push through and, and we'd be immune in the end of the pandemic. It's not working. But uh, so what we're going to do is to switch to low transmission in the community, but we're not going to have any more rules. We're going to make it easy for you to access the tools that we have. We're going to advertise like crazy and promote those tools. There are no more rules. Um, we just really want you to do this because our society can only function well if you do it. You know, if the prime minister said that, the premier said that, the chief minister said that, the minister said that, they backed it up with some advertising, with some money to make high quality masks free and some legislation around how maybe uh, buildings can be have clean air and so on, it would make a phenomenal difference. It would make a phenomenal difference. And business would be happy, hospitals would be happy, society would be happier. Uh, but at the moment, pride and ignorance is getting in the way. So if pride and ignorance are ruling right now, Professor, and thank you for your courage in speaking out, do you think we'll see this as one of the greatest public health disasters Australia has ever seen? It already is. There's nothing like this that has happened since World War II, and of course that wasn't our fault. Um, so it already is. I mean, the argument will be, could we have done something about it? I mean, the argument at the moment seems to be no, is we've got to accept it. It's a pandemic. Um, we made a deal with the Australian public. I heard Premier Andrews say yesterday that if they got vaccinated, we wouldn't have any more restrictions sort of thing. Um, so it, it seems to be that that's, that's the, um, the political positioning is that Phil, they have no licence to do anything more. So there's an acceptance that this is just the way it is, you know. Um, and, you know, I, I would argue a few things in relation to, to what Premier Andrews said, and, and, I, and I should preface it by saying I think he's, a, he's a, a hero of the Australian pandemic response, which was kind of fantastic for the first two years and, and somebody I admire very much. Um, but it's not true to say that uh, we made this deal two vaccinations and, and no restrictions. We, we made a four-phase plan that we would ease out of the Delta wave, um, you know, based on the Doherty model, and that we would keep numbers low without, um, you know, coercive restrictions. That means using the tools, the public health tools that I've already mentioned. And when Omicron came, uh, Omicron came along, we threw that strategy out the window. We threw the deal out, actually. As I say, we bought a lemon, we bought a new car, we threw out the old one and we've never gone back to it. And that's what's actually happened. And I, and I just sense, you know, I'm not a politician, but I, I you know, sense it's political poison to even bring up the word COVID. And so no one does. And here we are accepting this public health disaster, 25,000 people dying. I mean, can you believe that? No. More than more than would otherwise have died. These are not people with COVID. These people would be alive. Preventable deaths. Preventable. It's extraordinary. Of course it's the worst disaster um, in living memory and, uh, and it is one we could have done something about. Professor Brendan Crabb, the Director of the Burnett Institute, thanks so much for joining us. You're very welcome, Natasha. Thank you. So what does the future hold for COVID? Will we see more strains and will this roller coaster ride continue? Tomorrow, we'll speak again with Professor Crabb on his expert advice for 2023.
The good news is, he says, we can reduce COVID infections and COVID hospitalisations and deaths. There are a number of small measures we can all adopt that will make a huge difference. Join us tomorrow for another important episode of Morning Agenda. Listener.